sermon text reading comes from Romans 15, verses 17 through 21. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to take out a copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Thank you so much for being here with us. We are wrapping up this morning a four-week series that we've been in on the foundations of our church, specifically our church's vision and mission, and really this applies to any church's vision and mission. We are getting beneath the surface and looking at the foundation on which we stand, from which we can launch ministries, and from which we can start thinking about ways that we can reach our city with the gospel. And in week one, so a few weeks ago, we said that there are two pillars to any church's vision and mission, and they are the great commission and the great commandment, to make disciples of all nations and to love the Lord your God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two pillars on which every church's vision and mission must stand. And we saw, we, we took those and we summarized them, we synthesized them, we said that our church in one way or another needs to exist for the purpose of making disciples who love God and other people. And we said in order to do that, we need to focus on three areas of emphasis. We need to focus on gospel doctrine, gospel culture and gospel mission well so in week two we looked at gospel doctrine or the mere truth the the power of the gospel and if we are going to make disciples we said that uh, who love god and others we need to know what the gospel is well then the following week last week we talked about gospel culture the social environment that the gospel creates and we said that if we're going to make Disciples who love God and who love other people, we not only have to know the gospel, but we have to show the gospel in the life of the church. And today we're going to wrap things up. We're going to finish this series by looking at what we're calling gospel mission or the action that the gospel drives. If, if we're going to be a church who makes disciples, who love God and others, we have to go with the gospel to those who have yet to believe. Now, here's a question that a lot of people actually think about, probably um, subconsciously. And last year, I actually believe a lot of people, uh, for a lot of people, this question started to rise to the surface. What is the church supposed to do? What is the church supposed to do? For a lot of us, and I'm, I'm not ashamed of this, I, I actually am, am proud and happy for this. Most of us grew up in church. A lot of people that you will encounter this week probably grew up in church or around church. And whether they had good or bad experiences, they knew that their weekends at least had church attendance as a part of them. So, so they would do whatever they were going to do on Saturday, but on Sunday you went to church. And for some of you, you think back to your childhood and you're like, you didn't know anything else. You just, on Sundays, you went to church. 
But have you ever thought about what the church is actually supposed to do? So last year, a lot of churches stopped meeting. We, we, did, we did, you know, some virtual things because of COVID, and there, there, was, there were no measures except for distance and masking to, to really uh, prevent the spread of, of the disease. So we just, we stayed home. And a lot of people, when they stayed home, they, they had some time to actually think about it because what happened? They got out of that rhythm of going to church on Sunday. And so then that question that probably lingered beneath the surface the whole time rose to the surface, and it's like, what's the point of this? Why, why do we do this? I know, I know we do it because, you know, my parents did it, my grandparents did it, their, their, their parents did it, and we just, we go to church. But what are we really supposed to be doing? There are other churches that get really confused and they think that, you know, the church is just supposed to be, you know, like, like, like a mission, like, you know, the Salvation Army or the Red Cross. And so it really doesn't matter to gather for church on Sundays. This is just something you might do out of tradition. But, you know, preaching the gospel is not very important. What you're supposed to do is just help other people. What is the church supposed to do? Are we supposed to spend our time creating ministries that, that meet as many preferences as possible so that we can all be comfortable and happy? Are we supposed to not care at all about uh, the comfort and the, the preferences of the people in the church? Are we supposed to be active in our community or not? If we are supposed to be active in our community, what does that look like? How is it appropriate? What is the church supposed to do? We're going to answer that question for you this morning by saying very broadly, the church is supposed to live on gospel mission. That's the calling that we find in the New Testament on the local church. We are supposed to live on gospel mission. Now, what do we mean by this phrase, gospel mission well we mean that the news about what jesus has done for us yearns to be spread it's like a virus no too soon i'm sorry um, um it <laughs> it wants to spread from person to person now i'm so sorry that's too way too soon way too soon um but the the news about what jesus has done it yearns to be spread the power of the gospel yearns to be demonstrated publicly the gospel compels and empowers us to share its truth and to show its beauty it wants to be seen See, when we speak of gospel mission, it's really just a catchy way of describing how the good news about Jesus, gospel, drives us to do something in his name, mission. The grace that we receive from Jesus does not remain dormant in our hearts. It lives in us, it works in us, and it wants to move through us to others. Gospel mission is a call on each and every one of us to build a lifestyle that advances the cause and the kingdom of Jesus at our jobs, in our homes, in our city, and throughout the world. Now, when I use the word mission, Avery gave a very helpful preface there. I'm referring to the grand and global mission of God to redeem sinners and restore the created order through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's mission. You see, when God created people to reflect his glory— the, the original couple, they fell into sin. And since that day, you go back to Genesis chapter 3, we see that God is on a mission. He is on a mission to restore, to recover what was lost, what was fallen, what was broken. Mission means that God is still active. We forget this. God is still active. We come to the Bible... And, and we know there is nothing more that's going to be added to God's word. We have his word. We have everything that we need 
to know about God, and it is sufficient for our salvation. We need nothing more. But we need to remember God is not trapped in this book. He is is not uh, somehow only active within the accounts that we find in the Bible. God is active now. He is still on mission. The Bible itself testifies and teaches this reality that God has remained on mission and will continue to be active to complete his mission through the church. The news of Jesus' death and resurrection we find in Scripture will one day extend to the ends of the earth. And through Jesus, all of creation will one day be fully restored and fully renewed. Tupelo needs churches that live on gospel mission. In case you thought this, we are not just here to be another weekend option for individuals and families. You know, well, you know, this weekend we've got, we've got sports, we've got activities, we've got hobbies, and then, you know, what we could all, well, we could also go to church, and, you know, we could, well, we could really get some shopping done, you know, and church is just there as a list of options, and that's, that's the only purpose of the church. That's not why we're here. Tupelo needs churches that are filled with people who are ordering and orienting their entire lives around the mission of God in the world. Our city needs us to start doing what Jesus called us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, what he calls us to do in the Lord's Prayer. Seek first the kingdom of God. You see, what happens is we get our priorities all messed up. When our priorities are all messed up, we when we aren't seeking the kingdom first, when we aren't seeking Jesus first, we won't be living on gospel mission. And our priorities are so often messed up. We order our lives more often around our own comfort, around our own personal ambition, than we do around this holy ambition that we find in Romans 15 of advancing the kingdom of God to people who have yet to believe. There's good news for us, though. God knows that. You know that? God knows that you are a failure at at fulfilling his mission. He knows that. He knows how bad you are at it. He knows that right now you may be ordering your lives around things that are not his mission. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to use you anyway. God takes a bunch of people like us who are prone to be self-centered, and he propels us on his ancient mission to seek and to save that which is lost. He sends every single person that he saves without discrimination, without question. Every single person he saves, he sends out on mission. He brings us into the kingdom. He sends us out as his emissaries to announce the news that the king has come. And why does it work this way? Why why would God try to reach the world through people like us who can't seem to get it together? Well, it's because... This isn't just any ordinary mission. This is gospel mission. To qualify for this mission, you don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the wisest. You don't have to be the most creative or or the most outgoing or the strongest or the wealthiest. You qualify for this mission if you are weak. If you are weak and you are clinging to a strong Savior. You see, in Romans 15, the Apostle Paul, he shares this glorious personal vision to take the gospel to those who have yet to hear and yet to believe. 
It's an ambition that burns within his heart to let others in on the news that Jesus has won. He has defeated sin. He has defeated death. And so in order for us to be a church that makes disciples who love God and others, we have to live on gospel mission. And when we live on gospel mission, it will be evidence that we are making disciples, that we are loving God with all that we are, and that we are loving other people. So here's what I want to do. Um, You don't have notes in front of you. They'll be uh, uh, linked to uh, this whenever it is uploaded later. You don't have notes in front of you. But we're going to look at Romans 15, 17 through 21, and see three things. Three things. First, we're going to see why we should live on gospel mission. Second, we're going to see what it looks like to live on gospel mission. And finally, we're going to consider how we can do it. How could we possibly do this? So why do we do it at all? What's the basis? We need some philosophy and theology before we can get practical. Second, we're going to get practical. What does it actually look like when we say gospel mission? That's just, that's just a phrase. It doesn't have any definition. What does it mean? What's it look like? And then finally, how on earth are we going to do this? Okay, first, the basis. The basis of gospel mission. Why? Why should we live on mission? So, all right, what you see here in Romans 15, before Paul describes this ambition that he has to take the gospel to those who have yet to believe, he grounds it in Jesus. He says, all that, all that he has accomplished is due to the work of Jesus in him. So look at, look at verse 17. So in Romans 15, 17, uh, Paul writes this, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Listen, if anyone was an accomplished missionary, it was the Apostle Paul. And, we, and, and Paul was an apostle. He had a different role in the mission of God than we do. But telling other people about Jesus, we have that in common with him. And the Apostle Paul says that every single thing that he accomplished wasn't really him. It was Jesus. Jesus was active. He was the one who accomplished all of these things. The reason that Jews and Gentiles both are coming together and the dividing wall of hostility has been removed is because Jesus has done this work. All right, so why did Paul live on gospel mission and why must we? It's because of his obsession with Jesus. And we need to focus on just one glorious reason here. We live on mission because Jesus was first sent to accomplish the mission. That's why. We live on mission because Jesus first was sent to accomplish the mission of God. So what we see in Paul's life, and he's, he's dictating some of it here, he has oriented every detail of his life around the mission of God. And the reason he did that, you remember this, right? We went through the book of Acts You remember it. He encountered face-to-face the risen Jesus. You see, it was different for Paul. He didn't just read the Old Testament scriptures enough, and then finally the light turned on, and he was like, oh, that guy that they crucified, he was the Messiah. I need to tell other people about him. No, it was not until Paul saw Jesus alive after he had died that he became convinced, and he completely changed course. He went from persecuting Christians to now being persecuted for the sake of Christ, and he started telling everyone he knew about Jesus because he encountered the risen Jesus. You see, what Paul knew this. 
God's mission centers on who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And it's only because Jesus died and rose from the dead that, that the mission of God is successful at all. And, and even further than that, one thing we really need to be clear on, there is no mission for us to fulfill, for us to live on, if Jesus was not raised from the dead. There is no mission without resurrection. The bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead as a historical reality is the basis of the mission of our church. We are going to compel you to share the gospel with your friends and neighbors. We're going to compel you, train you, equip you to tell other people about Jesus. And we're not just doing that because, well, it's just what churches should do. We're doing that because we are convicted that Jesus died and then he came back from the dead. He's alive. And because of that, we encourage you to tell other people about Jesus. You see, okay, here's why this is important. First, without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. If anyone tries to convince you that whether or not Jesus was raised from the dead really doesn't matter, doesn't really change anything, they're liars, they're fools. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, please stop coming to church. Please, don't waste your time. There are more fun things you can do with your Sundays, I promise. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, I promise you, I would not be here. This uh, studying all this stuff and, and getting into Greek and Hebrew, that, that, that's not like, you know, ho a hobby for me. You know, it's not something I would probably do if I wasn't convicted and convinced that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. There is no forgiveness of sins without the resurrection. Repentance means nothing. So our message would be empty and the mission would be vanity. Without the resurrection, there is no good news to tell. But second, through the resurrection... Jesus is given all authority on heaven and on earth. And so when he commissions us and tells us to go and tell other people about him, he's not just giving us a suggestion. He is commanding us as the Lord of heaven and earth. And he is the Lord of heaven and earth because he died and he rose again. So really, responding to the mission of God is all about reckoning with the resurrection of Jesus. Is Jesus really raised from the dead? Does Jesus really possess the kind of authority that he claims? And when you, when you work through those questions, you really only have two options. One, you can believe that Jesus is raised from the dead and you can live on mission. Or two, you cannot believe that Jesus is raised from the dead and not live on mission. This third thing, what we're so prone to do, we can't do this. It's not an option. To believe in the resurrection of Jesus and refuse to live on mission. We can't do that. We can't. I'm imploring you. We cannot do that. I would much rather, I don't want you to do this, but I would much rather you be consistent and reject the resurrection and not live on mission than profess that Jesus is raised from the dead and refuse to live on mission. It's a dangerous place to be. Your heart is divided if that's where you are. And, and I have been here. The resurrection of Jesus is our catalyst for mission. So here's the shorthand of all of this. If you are a Christian, you have been sent on mission. That's the why. This, and this is important because whenever we think about the mission of God, who do we think about? Well, for our church, we think about David and Melissa Smith. 
They respond to a call from God to, to sell all their stuff here and move halfway across the world to, to live on mission. And that's what we think about. We think about missionaries who are out in the middle of the jungle somewhere. Um, but the mission of God is for every single one of us, right where we are. If Jesus was raised for you, then Jesus has sent you. No matter your circumstances, no matter your address, God plans to use you to advance his kingdom. No matter how long you've been following Jesus, no matter your job, no matter your degree of Bible knowledge, no matter your social status or your financial status, God has plans to use you to change the world. We are sent on mission, not because we're super talented or we figured it out or we're really knowledgeable. We are sent on mission because Jesus was raised from the dead. So your confidence in the mission of God should match your confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. We live on gospel mission because Jesus was first sent to accomplish the mission through his resurrection. Okay, so that's why. Two elements of the gospel, of gospel mission. What? What does it look like? What does it look like to live on mission? We've been, I've been saying this phrase over and over this morning. What does it actually look like? And I just want to boil it down to two different categories of, of gospel mission. Two categories. One, living on gospel mission means announcing the gospel. And this is primary. This is primary. Living on gospel mission means announcing the gospel. So you notice Paul here. He, he is desperate. He wants to take the news of Jesus to those who have yet to believe. Because those who have yet to believe, he knows, will perish in their sin without Jesus. So Paul says, I make it my ambition to declare the gospel in places where Christ is yet to be confessed, where he's yet to be believed in. And so for Paul, living on mission meant going to people who did not know Jesus and subsequently telling them about Jesus. Only when people hear and respond in faith to the good news about Jesus will their sin be forgiven. That's it. That's the path. You, you, can, you can convince them and train them and give them wisdom and, and advise them on how they should live their lives all you want. You could, you could do so many good deeds for people. But until they believe, hear and believe the gospel, they will remain in their sins. And if they remain in their sins, they will one day perish in their sins. Earlier in the book of Romans, Paul put it this way in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That precious promise. And then he says, for with, one, for with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he, then he presents a dilemma in the form of questions. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Part of being sent means telling the good news, this glorious gospel promise that is available to anyone who believes, 
anyone who confesses the name of Jesus in faith. It can only be a reality for them if they hear the gospel. And they can only hear it if someone tells them. And they can only be told if someone is sent. We have been sent to tell the good news that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what's required of us. Tell this news. And we tell this news to all people in all places. Thank God the saving work of Jesus is not localized. Jesus did not just come to die for the sins of Israel. The gospel advanced through Israel and to the rest of the world. Repentance and forgiveness extends to all nations. And that means the kingdom is wide open for everyone in your neighborhood. The gospel is for every single one of your co-workers. All right, so, so what does this mean to us, for us? Okay, if we are going to actually join God on the mission that he's given us, we have to speak the gospel. We have to share it. We have to tell other people, and we have to do so freely, and we have to do so often. Living on mission is not limited to supporting missionaries overseas. God has called us to live on mission right where we are, in our, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our cities. This is our mission field. As long as you live here, this is your mission field. And at Trace Crossing, we want to be ready and willing to share the gospel with those the Lord has placed in our lives. If we are going to join God on mission, we have to dream, we have to plan, we have to desire for the gospel to advance through us to others. And, and that happens as we speak the gospel. There, there's another way. There's another way that we can live on mission. So the primary way that we live on mission is to get over ourselves and tell other people about Jesus. Okay? And we're not prescribing any particular ways to do that at this point. But we have to understand that this is the mission, to go and tell other people about Jesus. But there's a second way. Um, living on gospel mission means, first, announcing the gospel. But second, living on gospel mission means advancing the kingdom of God. Advancing the kingdom of God. So, Jesus did not just create a spiritual transaction through his death and resurrection. It's, it's more than that. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Jesus, when he came to earth through his death and resurrection, he actually inaugurated a spiritual that will one day be physical kingdom. And this kingdom brings with it a specific way of life that's modeled after Jesus himself. This ki kingdom life is marked by a lot of what we talked about last week with gospel culture. It's marked by grace and mercy and humility and, and goodness and beauty and peace and generosity and so on. And when we live like the kingdom has come, we bring and create goodness and peace into people's lives. When Jesus sends us on mission with him, we are empowered by the Spirit to both speak about Jesus and to display, to show that the kingdom has actually come in Jesus. So, so here's, here's kind of how that works. When Jesus died, his soul did not just ascend into heaven and now Jesus is floating on the cloud somewhere. 
When Jesus died, he, he really died. His body was buried in the grave. And when Jesus was raised, he was raised not just as a spirit, like he's a ghost floating around like Casper. Um, but Jesus was raised from the dead, and he has a glorified body. Now, it was physical. So, so at minimum, this means that we have hope for a future resurrection. When we die, our bodies will be buried, our souls will be with God. But one day when Christ returns to complete his mission... We will receive new bodies that will be glorified as his body was glorified. And so the mission of God does not end with the forgiveness of sins or any other spiritual reality. The mission of God ends with a new creation, a new earth, with God's new people inhabiting it and ruling over it with new glorified bodies. One day, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. And this is what the finished mission will look like. Now, here's what that means for us as we fulfill the mission now. The gospel of the kingdom guarantees a future reality that we've always wanted. One day we are going to have the bodies that we always wanted. We will have the lives that we always wanted because everything will be perfect in God's presence. But the kingdom of God is here now. This is an already not yet experience. We, in part, experience now the life that we will have then. That's because eternal life, as we talked about it a few weeks ago, the Zoe life, it begins now. So part of fulfilling the mission of God is bringing these realities to bear on the world now. We work now to bring truth and beauty and goodness and peace into a dark, sin-ridden, pain-filled, unjust world. We work now toward realities that will be true in the new earth. We work for realities in our perishable bodies that we will experience fully in our imperishable bodies. And that's why it's so important for us to pursue transformation in our lives and in the lives of others. We're not content with someone just one time coming to faith in Jesus and then we're done with them. No, we want to see them healed. We want to see them transformed. We want to be transformed. We want to be better. We want to change. This is part of fulfilling the mission of God. That's why we want to work to bring justice and peace and healing and mercy to those who are suffering. We want to work to help others live now as they will one day live in the new earth because in the gospel we are shown how God's world is supposed to be. Now this leaves us with, with three goals as a church. Three things to aim for. And, and the first is we, we can just call church expansion. So if we're going to live on mission, we want our church to expand. We want to grow. And we want to grow in a very specific way. And I want you to hear me very clearly how I want to see our church grow in a very specific way. We advance the kingdom. We announce the gospel. And we do it through evangelism. Our mission includes growing our church through evangelism. Who is our church called to reach? And churches get really weird about this. And they're like, okay. You know, there are 15,000 churches on McCullough Boulevard, you know, and why, what about us? How do we stand out? What's unique to us? Who can we reach that no one else is reaching? Don't complicate this, please. Do you know who our church is called to reach? Two groups of people. Two groups of people. This is who we want to see coming in our church. Two groups of people. People who are unchurched. Christians who are currently not tethered to a local church. If, they, if they're not tethered to a local church, for whatever reason, we want to reach them. We want to get them plugged back into the local church. And if not our local church, we want to implore them to find a local church to be a part of. 
And then there's a second group. We can say unchurched, and we can say unreached. People in our city who have yet to believe in Jesus. How unbelievable would it be if each one of us made it our ambition, just like Paul did, to take the gospel to people who have yet to hear it or who have yet to believe in it. Those people exist in our city. You pass by them, you drive by them every single day. That's how I want to see our church grow, through recommitment to the local church and through baptism. That is our model for church growth, the model that is given to us in the New Testament to grow through evangelism. Okay, so questions for you. Are you evangelizing? Are you inviting your friends to church? Are you inviting your friends to Jesus? What can we do to reach the lost in Tupelo with the gospel? Questions for you to think about later. All right, goal number two. Church, not just expansion, but church extension. We want to extend the gospel beyond where we physically are. And we do this through what we call missions. So our mission includes extending the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the primary way that we do that here is by partnering with people who are already planted in places all around the country and all around the world. David and Melissa, we have missionaries in the Middle East. We have Amun and Ghazala who are here in New Jersey and Pakistan. And uh, we, we support the IMB as an SBC church as they have missionaries that are being sent all over the world. We, we support NAM, the, the church planning agency of the SBC that plant churches all across our country. We want to continue doing that. And then one final goal, church impact and influence. So church expansion, church extension, church impact and influence. We advance the kingdom through mercy ministries, through outreach. Our mission includes influencing and impacting the communities in which we live for good. This is a dream that we should have. That it would be true of us that if we closed our doors, our community would actually care. And there would be a hole because we are not here. As citizens of a spiritual, eternal kingdom, we live by Jesus' rules. And if we're living in submission to him, wherever we are, whatever city we live in, whatever neighborhood we live in, wherever we work, wherever we are, it should be a better place because we are there living according to Jesus' rule. So, question for us. How can we make a real difference for the kingdom in Tupelo? And this is actually a question that you will be talking about in Life Group. Life Group start next week. We've actually challenged Life Group leaders to um, uh, lead their groups to develop and dream of answers to this question by making it an expectation for you to serve together. It is on the calendar. One time a month in your life group, you will be serving together. Your first life group meeting, you will be looking at a list of local partners. You will choose one as a group, and you will partner with them. You will do whatever you can to serve them. And if there is something that's not on that list, and you guys are dreaming and praying together of ways that you can impact our city for good, you can send that to us, and we will consider it. And, and you can serve our city for the sake of the gospel, and you'll do it through life group. Okay, one last thing. One last thing. So the why, Jesus is raised from the dead. The what, what do we do? We announce the gospel, we advance the kingdom. One last thing. How in the world are we going to do this? How are we going to do it? And I want you to notice something. This isn't just true of Romans 15. This is true in all of the passages in the gospels where Jesus calls us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is true throughout the book of Acts. This is true throughout the New Testament, really. There are no methods 
that are offered. There's a command, take the gospel from here to there, and then when we ask, well, how, how we do that? Nothing. But there is one thing that is consistent in almost every single one of those passages. Look here in Romans 15, starting verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. How? By word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. See, for Paul, with the evidence of the Spirit's past power, through confidence in the Spirit's future power, Paul makes it his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. The power of the Holy Spirit is necessary for the mission of God to succeed. It's the only way. It's the only way. We could come up with the most clever, the most creative, the most engaging way to reach our city, and apart from the power of the Spirit of God, it will be useless. It won't work. It will not work. And guess what? We can stumble here together. We can resolve together to say, no, we want to do this. We got no clue what it looks like. I don't know. I want to reach Tupelo for good. I want to share the gospel with people who don't know. I want to see our church grow through baptisms. I don't know how we do that. And we're sitting here and we're confused and we're, we're like, eh, what do we do? And we throw our hands up and we're weak. God can use that. If we turn that into a desperate prayer, desperate dependence on the spirit of God. How do we live on mission? The answer is going to frustrate you. It frustrates me. We live on mission by relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. It frustrates me because I would much prefer a three-step plan to effectively reach people for Jesus. Just give it to me. I'll put it on my fridge. I'll follow it every day. There's so much freedom here in what Paul says. There's so much freedom in his ambition. He doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation, not because he's a glory hound, but because he knows how gospel mission works. The kingdom advances as God's people depend on God's spirit. The spirit of God is our source of missional power. So gospel mission begins with desperate prayer. Simple but desperate prayer. We cannot fulfill God's mission on our own. Our wisdom, our planning, our strategies are not enough. As we've seen in the book of Acts, we see ordinary believers who are staking their lives on Jesus, who are living their lives for Jesus, and we see them. They put themselves in God's hands, and then God sent power. Their primary strategy was to pray and to depend and rely on the Spirit. They, they went where the Spirit sent them. Do you remember all those times when they were persecuted? They were opposed, they were rejected, and we see them, they're limping back together, and they get uh, in, in a gathering place, and they get on their knees, and they pray, and they depend on the Spirit, and they trust the Spirit, and they ask the Spirit to, to use their weakness. We can never outgrow what we find in the book of Acts. What if we started to just reject the status quo for most churches, even ours? What if, what if instead of trying to find a church that meets our every felt need, we desperately sought the face of God together? What if instead of spending our days talking about you know, our preferences and, and we spent our days dreaming and talking with one another about how the Spirit has been using God's Word to change us? What if our 
Christian lives were more than Sunday church attendance? What if we made it normal to pray together? Um, we'll close with this idea here. Um, uh, Corey Smith and I were talking uh, the other day, it was a casual conversation. We were just, you know, uh, talking about just normal things. I don't even remember all the things we talked about. But in the course of the conversation, a friend of mine got brought up, somebody that I know in, in Tupelo, um, uh, have a relationship with him. And Corey, uh, in the course of the conversation, he just looked at me and he said, can you imagine what could happen if God got a hold of him? It's, it's conversations like that that need to become normal here. Whereas we're even having normal, natural conversations about people in our lives, we start dreaming and hoping and praying and yearning and desiring for the Spirit to move through us to reach people who have yet to come to faith in Jesus. Do you feel like our church is weak right now? Have you reached a point where you can't see how we could possibly reach people for Jesus or make a difference in our community? It's going to sound counterintuitive, but that is very, very good news for us. God can work with that. In fact, God loves to show his strength in our weakness. The question for us is, will we trust him? Will we depend on him? Will we dare to believe that the spirit of God is more than capable of using us for the glory of God? The reason that gospel mission is foundational for us to make disciples who love God and others is because Jesus is alive, he has sent us to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, and he has sent us to live out its implications wherever we live. God is still at work to set captives free, to transform lives, and to bring those who are far from God near. And we are qualified, not because we're really capable, because the one who sends us has died for us, is with us, and is for us. This means we have to go. We have to go. God has accomplished his mission to recover and restore what was lost in Eden, not by waiting for us to come to him, but by coming to us in the person of Jesus. So we have to go to places in our city, our nation, maybe even your workplace, that others wouldn't dream of going. And we can't do this without the Spirit, but we have the Spirit. So let's do it. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. We're going to come to the table in just a minute.